Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Star Sports Podcast presented by First Federal Bank. It's Wednesday, August 24th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Len Dawson has passed away. He was 87. The family had announced that he had entered hospice care two weeks ago, so this doesn't come as surprising news, but still, it's a blow. It's also a celebration, and that's what today's show is all about. We'll open with a conversation with columnist Vahe Gregorian, who may have had the last lengthy sit-down interview with Len five years ago when he was about to call his final season from the Chiefs radio booth. And we'll conclude today's show with a recording Vahe made that day. After a break, you'll hear from Dawson in a 2009 interview conducted by the star's Todd Feeback, interviews of play-by-play announcers Dawson worked with, Kevin Harland and Mitch Holtis, an interview with former Chiefs beat writer Bill Richardson on why Super Bowl IV was a bittersweet occasion for Dawson, and finally, a piece of Dawson's interview with Vahe. Let's get started. Well, Vahe, uh, Len Dawson passed away earlier today. Of course, we're recording this on on Wednesday, and um, we knew it was coming when he entered hospice care, what, about two weeks ago, a little less than two weeks ago. So uh, it it doesn't make the moment any less sad. Um, it, it, when I, we woke up to the news this morning, and it was like a, you know, oh, this Len Dawson passed away. It's a world without Len Dawson. Here we are. Yeah. And and you're right. I mean, it's funny. You get a little chance to gird yourself, but I think you don't really feel the full sense of the meaning of it till the event actually happens. Right. A lot of times we uh, in our business need to be cognizant of these things and, you know, work ahead a little when those happen, but you don't feel the emotional connection to it till it actually happens. It's just that way. And I think, I guess that's an important point that I think, uh, even as reporters, even as sort of outsiders who came to Kansas City, uh, me more so than you since you've been here so long, um, we had a sort of longtime sense of Len Dawson, uh, you know, it, not not just as a Kansas City icon, but as a, a national treasure. You know, you and I, um, let's see, we're both north of the 60 mile per hour uh, <laughs> sign. Um we 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 became sports fans in the late sixties, early seventies when Len Dawson was still playing and you know had his greatest moment as a as a professional athlete, leading the Chiefs to the Super Bowl victory for the sixty-nine season. And so it, it it so we knew who Len Dawson was. He was he was a star in our of our youth, a star athlete from from our youth. Saw him on TV all the time and Watched uh, when we when we saw the Chiefs, he was he was the quarterback of the Super Bowl winning team. But then, you know, as you mentioned, I, I came to Kansas City in 1989, and, and you came in 2013. And Len Dawson was so much a part of life in Kansas City in a way that I'm not sure a lot of stars of our youth became. Um, he, you know, he was on TV all the time. He was Chiefs radio broadcaster. He had already, I, I think, I, I can't remember when the uh, the HBO um, this week in the NFL groundbreaking series ended, but uh, mm-hmm. but he was every bit a part of that, and well, he was the, the star of it. So it's a unique uh, relationship that this city had with him, and that you and I had with him. Yeah, that's that's right. And you know, this is funny again, not to hearken too much to our our youth, but I, I think of this when when I think of people that we followed in that era um somebody you grew up 
in your case, I always think of Roberto Clemente, right? But I, yeah. I think of the people that you followed really closely. They, when you encounter them in your adult life, they're the, one of the few occasions, at least in my experience, that sort of makes you revert a little bit to that feeling you had as a kid. I think I had that with some, you know, University of Texas people that I'd followed as a kid and Philadelphia people when we moved there. Len Dawson was a little different because it was at a distance. On the other hand, he you were just as cognizant of, oh, that's Len Dawson, the guy that I, you know, I was watching when I first saw Sports Illustrated and saw Super Bowl and my NFL Action 72 stamp album. Um, <laughs> and there was something about him that just exuded the cool we all talk about, which is why I don't think we just saw him as a player. We saw him as just this really cool guy that seemed like the uh the template for what you wanted as an NFL, and we should remember, AFL quarterback. Um, so then to have, you know, develop relationship with them to some degree. I mean, I, I know we both had lots of opportunities to talk to him, and I had a couple uh, extended sit-downs with him. And um, I, I think that was what was really neat about his place in Kansas City. Look, along with George Brett, we've talked about this many times, those guys really epitomized the uh, – people that weren't from here that became completely ingrained in the community and stayed. And they're, they're not the only ones, but they're right at the top. And it's uh, it's always been kind of, I think a telling thing about them, but also about Kansas city. Yeah. We, I remember about, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, I did a Mount Rushmore of, of Kansas city sports figures. And these were just athletes, not owners or even coaches. And, and Dawson and Brett were the, and Tom Watson, the golfer, of course, were the the three uh, you know, slam dunks on on a Kansas City sports Mount Rushmore, and I kind of you know it took me a while to come up with the fourth. I, it, um, it was Buck O'Neill at the time, and, and it probably still would be now. But uh, but anyway, yeah, that's uh, that's what's happened is we we've, we've lost a you know a face from the Mount Rushmore uh, of of Kansas City sports and. You, of course, um, had one of the last extended media visits with Len Dawson, went to his house. This was in 2017, the year it was announced that Len would uh, would end conclude his career as a broadcaster for the on Chiefs radio, an analyst. And uh, and later in the show, after we take a break, we're actually going to play a clip, about a minute and a half, a clip of your interview with with Len Dawson. So what do you remember about that that occasion? And in uh, in watching the review in that clip, he, you know, he was, you know, he he seemed, I don't know if he was seemed like he was ready to step down, but um but but anyway, he he sounded good and and um and could have seems like he could have gone on a little longer if he wanted to. Yeah, I had a little bit of that feeling that day. Um you know what I remember him it was quite striking. I can't remember if it's in the clip or just part of the rest of our conversation, but he spent a lot of time that day talking about uh, his sadness about the terrible conditions so many of his era were in. Um, and I think he used the term, you know, that they're just, they're just, uh, they're just existing. I'm, I'm, I'm still going to live. And at the time he was still, I think, taking daily walks in Loose Park and, you know, he didn't live too far from there. Um and a few other things that I, th I think he thought were going to help keep him young. On the other hand, it's also true that I might have been there 
you know me, Blair, the thing that wouldn't leave. I might have been there two hours and probably I should have left 45 minutes earlier. You know, I, I think um, he he got a little tired and and uh, I think start, you know, you start to see at that point um, a little bit of what what was beginning to become evident about some some memory issues. They They spoke his wife, Linda, that day, I think, spoke about a little bit of memory care he was getting and um so it 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 at that time though i i i didn't uh i mean look that's even five years ago so it's like it's not like this this happened right away afterwards one of the things that you know people probably know is that we we didn't see a lot of him the last few years and there's there's some questions and um complications about that i mean it not not many people were able to see him um so we don't really know. I don't I couldn't even tell you exactly. Uh, we know cause of death. And I don't know that that's necessarily important. He's 87 and lost my dad at 87. And these things happen. Um, yep. So um, the. Uh, I remember, I don't know if it was the following year, maybe in the following year in 2018, uh, Len came up to the press box on the for the first for the first regular season game that year at home and um and sat actually sat sat where we sit in the press box and in, in the stars the star seats there and was just wanting to visit and chat you know chat and it was um it, it was great to see he's asking questions about the team i remember and uh, and what we thought of things that was something else i'll i'll always remember about len is whenever you encountered him whatever it was for um he wanted to know what you thought about about the team, whatever whatever's going on in the NFL, kind of had a curious mind, which made him, you know, pretty good media member for the many decades. Yeah, that's interesting. And and chicken and egg on whether that he did that because he was in the media or he went in the media because he did that. I I tend to think the latter, right? That that whatever. It's a funny story, of course, about how he got into that to begin with. But there had to be a sense of impetus in him to you know, well, I'll try it out, even though I got this other full-time job quarterback in the Chiefs, uh, you know. <laughs> um, but I, I smiled as you were saying, bringing that up, Blair, because one of the thoughts I had about him was um, he really tended to look you in the eye. It was a little disarming in some ways, but also very congenial. I mean, I, like you know, Len Dawson's really looking me in the eye, waiting for my answer. <laughs> and <laughs> as he did with everybody, I don't mean me. I mean, and that that, that was... I think one of those, I think that quality of him spoke to why we see the outpouring we do today, right? There's there's a lot of people who uh, were around him, worked with him, uh, were in his sphere of influence that you might expect that from, but you also see it from people, you know, a step or two removed who just had an encounter with him once, once and they remember it for... Um, you know, something where that showed he was paying attention, not just strutting along. One of our colleagues uh, uh, said he he bumped into bumped into him somewhere when it was really cold out. And he and he said, wow, it's Lenny the cool. And he goes, don't you mean Lenny the cold? <laughs> it's just stuff like that. He would engage. Um, and I just think that's that's pretty neat. Right. That not every superstar is that way. Probably fewer and fewer are today because. We just there's so many more buffer zones between the ordinary person and the superstar, right? Whether it's the financial means or just sort of the 
entourage around him. I, I don't think Len Dawson was really ever that way. I, that's a good point, Vahe. And it, it, it just prompts me to think that in the, you know, I, I don't, I didn't see him around town, you know, like, but, you know, but, but at occasions when, when I'd see him, he, you know, he, he was happy to engage with anybody. Um, he, he was, you know, he had a, he did have a bit of an everyman presence to him in, in, in those, you know, in, on those occasions. So, um, you know, let's go back a little bit to, you know, the reason that he became Len Dawson was his football. Uh, he spent, he was drafted in the first round by the Steelers in 1957 and then languished on the bench for Pittsburgh and then the Cleveland Browns. And he gets traded to the then Dallas Texans for the 1962 season and leads that team to the AFL championship. The Texans become the Chiefs for 1963. And lo and behold, there's uh, Len Dawson, quarterback in the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, 1966, they win the AFL title and play in Super Bowl one, lose it. And a few years later, Super Bowl four and wins it. He's the MVP. And um, another another clip we're going to play after the break is former star reporter and Chiefs beat writer Bill Richardson covered Len Dawson throughout most his, his entire career, but was also at Super Bowl four when Len Dawson went through that sort of that gambling uh, situation that uh, the, the story that broke. And Bill Richardson has a, a, a real uh, insider's take on what happened in New Orleans that week. So hope you stay tuned for that. But and, and you alluded to it already, Vahe, it was in 19, it was in 1966 that Len became a broadcaster for the first sports anchor for Channel 9, KNBC here in, in Kansas City. What an, That's incredible. I mean, who, who did, and he needed the job. That's why he did it. He, he needed the gig. Right. I think he's making, I'm making this up a little bit, but like he's making like 30,000, had a family to support. You know, it cracks me up nowadays when you, when you hear a guy, you know, I don't think I can settle for 10 million. I got a family to feed, you know, it's, <laughs> then they really did the, the extra thing. And as I recall anyway, and I, I, this, I, this, this is the case, you might remember it better, but Jack Stedman, then the kind of president GM money guy thought that uh, uh, it might behoove the chiefs to have uh, to sell, to have a, a star of lens uh, ilk be in the spotlight in a different way to help drive ticket sales. And, Figured it was win-win for for TV to, to have him on there, and so they struck up the deal. And I just it, one of the things Len said. So picture this for our listeners who you know can't don't know the whole story. I mean, so now he's leaving practice and going over to to do the six and ten, right? He's doing the six and ten sports, and but he's also either coming back to practice or before he leaves, doing interviews with Chiefs players. Like he's doing the interview with them and I, he was sort of joking, but I don't know if it was really a joke when he said he'd give them not only the questions, but the answers too. (laughs) (laughs) um, And I, I I can only envision all all I could do to think of how absurd that would seem today is just picture Patrick Mahomes, you know, hurrying out of practice, his hair is still wet. Got to, got to get down to the station. It just, just crazy, um, but it 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 was the a sign of the times. And and look, I, does that work in Philadelphia or Dallas? I mean, that that might be a little bit Kansas City uh, unique, also to how that fit. Yep, I agree. I agree. Um, 
he uh, inducted in the Hall of Fame in, in 1987. I think he was the third Chiefs player um, because of him, because of when he retired. He went in after Bobby Bell and I think Willie Lanier both went in before I think, that. Yeah, I think uh, Bobby 83, Willie 86, I think. I think that's right. Yeah, yep. Um, and, you know, maybe not as appreciated uh, historically as he as he should have been. His his career totals aren't overwhelming at all, but he's still the Chiefs' career leader in passing yards and touchdown passes. You know, Mahomes is only a couple of years away from supplanting him on both of those lists. But different era, of course, of uh, of, of football then. Four times led the league in passer rating. Eight times in completion percentage. That's an NFL record. Nobody's led the league in completion percentage more than Len Dawson, four times led the league in touchdown passes. So in addition to you know, his, his great media career, he was, he was an incredible football player um, from the, you know, from the AFL and the NFL days. And you bring up a great point with that. Oh, go ahead, Blair. I no, no, I was just going to say in the hall of fame, both as a, a player and uh, a broadcaster. Yeah. One of three yep. that, that, which is pretty amazing. But go back to that stat you just you just used. It was it, it was eight times completion, percentage, completion yeah. percentage. That's a great stat because it speaks to the context of the times, right? If you just look at his completion percentage now, the way the game is played now with X, Y, and Z, there's so many other things that just warp the context of that. So a lot of times, right, the best way to identify somebody's greatness is not just over the course of the game, but within the confines of how the game was played then. And I mean, that that's amazing. Right. And I don't, I don't think people think, you know, Patrick Mahomes isn't as accurate or, you know, whatever it's obviously it's not the case, but in the context of the times that, that, that very stat will stand the test of time. Famously known for the photograph um, of <laughs> Sitting was it was it at halftime of Super Bowl one? Do I have the setting right? Halftime of Super Bowl one, and uh, I didn't know this, but I, I I'm sure we'll link to this. Uh, Pete Gradoff uh, put together I think a, a piece for us on um, the reason those photos weren't weren't originally uh, part of the the immediate aftermath because I think Hank Stram struck up a deal that they'd only use the photos of the Chiefs won. Um, I, I, I think that's the case. I I'm speaking a little out of school cause I've, I've been caught up in some stuff and didn't get to read that yet, but I think that's, that's my understanding of how that went. So, because those photos only surfaced about a decade ago and I've seen people dismiss it as like, well, somebody thought they, they just weren't that good. I mean, that, no, that's pretty iconic, pretty <laughs> iconic photo. And, um, I again talk about context of the times, uh, <laughs> you know, it just just seems outlandish. <laughs> Cigarette and a fresca. That uh, that's kind of it's kind of amazing, and that's the that's the photo probably most widely distributed on social media today. Lenny the cool. We've seen we've seen that photo used a lot of different ways. We've seen Patrick Mahomes' picture superimposed over it. Um, <laughs> I I had occasion as we talked about before. I think to speak with Patrick. Uh, among among others last week about him. And I think that's what Patrick was referring to when he said he doesn't know if he has the swag Lenny, Len, Lenny has. <laughs> uh, all right, Vahe. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation, uh, celebrating the life of 
Len Dawson. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, you will hear from Len Dawson in the interview that uh, that Vahe conducted about five years ago and others speaking about Len Dawson. Thanks, Vahe. Thanks, Blair. Buying your first home is a huge milestone, but the journey there can be confusing. First Federal Bank of Kansas City is here to make it simple. After nearly a century of serving the KC community, our loan advisors have experience in every type of housing market. With a short phone call, we can give you a free rate quote and talk through loan options. No pressure, no obligation. The road to home ownership can be simple with First Federal Bank. Get started with a free quote at ffbkc.com homes. First Federal Bank of Kansas City, because banking is personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Hey, this is Blair. There are several ways to access the Star Sports section. Let me tell you about a couple of them. There is Sports Pass. For $12.99 a month, you get unlimited digital access to all of the Star Sports content, including beat writing, columns, features, pretty much everything we write. The deal renews monthly until you tell us to cancel. For $159.99 a year, you get everything the Star has to offer digitally, including sports and the e-edition. Go to KansasCity.com and drop down to the bottom of the page where it says start a subscription for more information. Your support has never been more important. As always, thanks for reading and listening. Welcome back to Sportsbeat KC. In 2009, the star's Todd Feedback sat down with Len Dawson for an interview, and Len shares some insights on how much the game has changed since his playing days. You know, players today in football, regardless of the quarterbacking position or any other position, they're much larger. They got into weight programs. Hank Stram, my coach, was the first coach that hired a strength and conditioning coach the year round. Nobody had done it in professional football. And this is back in the 60s. Well, nowadays, you know, there's weight training in high school. I never saw weight until Hank showed up with this guy. You know, and that's through high school and, and through college. But that is a big change. And, but that's just human beings are, are larger today and were 30, 40 years ago. And as far as the quarterbacking position, there's another aspect of it. I used to call the plays. Not that I made them up, although some of them I did occasionally. But uh, you don't find a quarterback in peewee league, in high school, in college, or professional football that calls a football game. Maybe they can check off a play that doesn't look like it's going to be worth uh, running it because the percentage is not working. But... Uh, that's the, that's the two things that I see. You know, the quarterback doesn't have complete control of the game. The game now is controlled by the sidelines. When you take a look at these colleges, uh, Missouri, for example, they don't even get into a huddle. I mean, the quarterback and the receivers and the linemen are all looking at the coaches over there, telling them what the play is going to be, what the blocking is going to be, and all all the routes, what the routes are going to be run. So they don't even get into the huddle. So that's a big change. That's a play a change that from my point of view, isn't necessarily the best way. you got to have a leader out there. How, you know, and the leader should be your quarterback. In order to lead, you at least have to gather these people together to talk to them and to discuss things and also get their input. What's wrong with asking an offensive lineman how he can block somebody? Nothing. I used to do it all the time because I, that, that lineman knew better than, than I how he could handle that guy. So uh, I, would, I would prefer it that way. Well, I had film, you know, film will break. <laughs> and so uh, I, I got a story about uh, the New York uh, Titans who became the Jets, but they were the Titans in the American Football League. And uh, 
Harry Wismer owned the team. He was a broadcaster, and he ran out of money. And so they only had two projectors. And when one broke, uh, the offense perhaps was using it, and they had to wait for the defense and vice versa. So uh, today everything is on tape. It's instantaneous. You can stop it. You can do things. So so much better today than it was back when I was playing. So uh, that part has really improved, making your preparation a lot easier than it was back then. So I'm looking at the Matt Castle. He has a great opportunity. He's going to get the opportunity to play. I know that they say, you know, you're not given a spot, but let's be serious. They're going to pay him the kind of money they're going to pay him. They're going to give him every opportunity to succeed. Let's hope that they have the rest of the people together on the three phases of the game so that they can be competitive each and every week and they can bring back uh, a championship to Kansas City. I'm not getting any younger. I'd like to see another Super Bowl championship team. Among the Chiefs radio play-by-play partners Dawson worked with from 1984 until 2017 were Kevin Harlan and Mitch Holtis. The star's Pete Granhoff recently caught up with Harlan about Dawson. And from a 2018 interview, Holtis tells us what it was like working with an announcer he used to idolize as a player. I think, you know, again, radio at that time was so important because, you know, games, there was no red zone. You know, you didn't see highlights very often. Uh, You saw maybe at halftime a Monday night football narrated by Cosell. So, like, you know, these teams were really after, you know, the the biggest names in the history of that team. Mm. So for him to do HBO and the national show, and it received – rave reviews, and I think that was one of the reasons why he got the broadcast with the Pro Football Hall of Fame. In fact, they had been the biggest reason why he got in there. He was doing, he had done games for NBC and, and for, I don't know for how long, and, and then, um, and then just strictly stuck with the Chiefs. Um, but you know, it was funny, another memory. We would be doing these Chiefs games, and you know, all these NBC announcers, and NBC carried the AFC at that time for, all the years that Leonard worked for NBC. But all these NBC announcers would always come in our booth before the game and say hello, Charlie Jones uh-huh. and Dick Enberg and Jay Randolph. And, like, oh, they'd always come in. So I got to meet, wow. you know, these big network play-by-play guys when I was this kid, and it was huge. And they would see Leonard and just start laughing. You know, Paul McGuire. Yeah. And Bob Trumpy, they would all make it a point to say hi to Len and come in our booth and just visit. And usually it was just a bunch of laughing that was going on, but it was really, it was so cool. You know, Kurt Gowdy, like they would come in our booth and say hi to Len Dawson and, and, and make it a point to, to say hi to him. So it was big that the Chiefs radio broadcast, and it was regional, you know, four or five states as it still is now. But, 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 you know, we had a network type announcer doing the, the 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 home team radio. So yeah, it was that was a big deal. That, that was a really big deal. I would be on the farm on a Sunday afternoon with a sixteen shirt, thinking I'm Len Dawson, and so the respect and awe was always there. But you can't work like that together, and so I had to get by that. But I do think there was mutual respect. I think Len saw the way that I prepared. Uh, he saw the way that I wanted to learn, always asking questions about learning the game of football as well as learning the art of broadcasting. And I think that that won him over because that's the way he is. Uh, he wants to do things correctly. 
And not that he's a perfectionist, but just like he played with a high completion percentage, he wants that in all of the broadcasts. And he saw that I wanted the same thing. And so that set off, again, an immediate chemistry and mutual respect that it's just fun to work with him. It's almost like a quarterback and receiver working together. In 2014, former star reporter Bill Richardson, who covered Dawson's entire career with the Chiefs, shared a story about Dawson's week at Super Bowl IV in New Orleans when the quarterback was associated with a gambling scandal. As Bill explains, nobody was in a better position to report the story than he was. Somebody uh, with NBC broke a story that this guy in Detroit, a gambler, had contacted about half a dozen NFL quarterbacks during the season. And accessibility was easy. You call and ask to speak to somebody on the phone. You'd get them right away, you know. So but one of the six was Dawson. Dawson's father had died a couple of weeks earlier, and this guy called in sympathy, you know, and I guess he hoped to get the feeling for how the quarterback felt about the game. And anyway, so the whole horde of reporters jumped on that. Well, this guy must be throwing games, they must have thought. And all he's doing was just accepted a call from this guy and told us it's his father. And I don't think they got into the thing about what's the feeling for the game or anything. And poor Dawson was <coughs> trapped by a media horde. And so the office called me. I was staying in the same hotel they were in to tell me about what this story was. None of the other quarterbacks got contacted by Namath and Carl Switan and Switan and all like that weren't contacted. But, but uh, everybody jumped on Dawson because he was the Super Bowl. And so the office called me. So I went up to Stram's room. And I said, ask him, I was asking him about it. I said, about this thing about Dawson. He said, well, once you ask him, he's right here. So Dawson looked very visibly shaken. I've never seen him like, like that. It was really sad. And then he spent a horrible week. And then they decided they had a long conversation. And ironically, Eddie Pope, you know, from Miami, had was up in the same suite to interview Stram. And they told us, Eddie, go hide in a closet or something. We don't want you out here while we're discussing this. So Pope in the closet? Yeah. He was in a closet or another, another room or something without access. to. He could overhear them, what they were talking about. And so they decided, well, let's just have a press conference and tell them what we know about it, get this out of the way. Well, they had a press conference that night and I took down the information, and I had to dash to a phone and call and dictate the story to, to the desk. <laughs> so, and then they let him alone after that, but he spent a miserable week. He was just in agony the whole week. Felt sorry for the, for the poor guy. And I don't think he slept very well the night before the game. And, but he then, then he went out and played a great game. Was the MVP of the Super Bowl. And in the dressing room, my President Nixon called and said, don't worry, we're going to end this thing right now. There won't be any investigation. <laughs> the final words belong to Len Dawson. As Vahe said in our conversation, he and Len sat down at the Dawson house about five years ago to discuss his final year in the Chiefs broadcast booth. Here's what Len had to say about his career. It's not going to be difficult to, to get away from it because I have had like 50 years of it. You know, if you go back to my youth, 
you know, in, in high school and college and that, never would I have thought that that would have happened. It was never in my mind whatsoever. But the thing is, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time to get that opportunity. And the fact that uh, I had that opportunity that I didn't think I was going to get, I worked at it pretty hard. And so uh, I'm very proud of the fact that I have accomplished things. You know, I'm in the Pro Football Hall of Fame twice. Once as a player, once as a broadcaster. Three men have done that. And I'm one of the three men to do that. So uh, it's been it's been a great run, you know, and I'm not I'm not finished yet. How will this last season feel? I mean, I, I don't know if it's going to feel like you're, um, you know, having one last hurrah exactly like that. But what, what do you suppose it'll be like to go on into the season? Well, I, I stopped playing football a long time ago. I'm not going to stop living, but uh, I don't I'm not going to be a change of anything. You know, I've had, I've had a great life. You know, you ask somebody else, would you like to have the life of Len Dawson? Never had to work in his life, basically. And uh, that, that's been me. So uh, I'm just going to keep on tricking those people out there. That'll do it for today. I want to thank our hardworking Sportsbeat KC production staff of Monty Davis, Randy Mason, Todd Feedback, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. A salute to our sponsor, First Federal. Their website is ffbkc.com. Tip of the cap to Vahe Gregorian for sharing his memories and insights of Len Dawson and to Pete Gradhoff for his behind-the-scenes contribution to the show. And thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's show. We'll be back soon with another Sports Beat KC. Thank you.